Welcome again to another sermon from Cornerbrook Baptist Church. As we move into the month of May, and as we, as hopefully, we are able to associate a little more freely, I suspect that large gatherings like churches may be some of the last things that they bring on stream, but we are certainly looking forward to the day when we not only do this, but we're able to associate a little more freely in that magical place called the church. I suppose hindsight is 2020, but some things happen so fast, they're absolutely unpredictable, and in some cases we lose control so easily. We're proving this every day in our COVID-19 world. So allow me to begin in an unusual manner today with a moment of levity. This is a bricklayer's accident report, printed in a newsletter of the Australian equivalent of the Workers' Compensation Board. And it really forms the title of my message today, When Life Hits Us Like a Ton of Bricks. Here's the letter. Dear Sir, I am writing in response to your request for additional information in Block 3 of the accident report form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You ask for a fuller explanation, and I trust the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found that I had some bricks left over, which when weighed later were found to be slightly in excess of 500 pounds. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley. This pulley was attached to the side of the building on the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up onto the roof, swung the barrel up, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the bricks. You will note in Block 11 of the accident report that I weigh 135 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, which was now proceeding downward at an equally impressive speed. This explained the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone as listed in Section 3 of the accident report form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of beginning to experience pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now, devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed, that weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer you again to my weight. As you can imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and several lacerations of my legs and lower body. But here my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries 
when I fell into the pile of bricks, and, for and fortunately only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks, in pain and unable to move, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope and lay there watching the empty barrel begin its journey back down onto me. This explains the two broken legs. I trust this answers your inquiry. Kind regards, Mike Pashby. Now folks, as crazy as that sounds, some of the Old Testament prophets seem to have had days like that. Let me take you to one for a little while today. Habakkuk 3, verse 16, is a prophet's response to a report from God. Let me read it for you. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound, and decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, some versions say blossom, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my salvation. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. You know, the prophets must have really had some bad days. They went through the same things as people did. Some of them lost their lives when the judgments they predicted suddenly came to pass. They had to work in an era when people were losing their dependence on God. The prophets were called to sound a, a warning. The messages often contained detailed descriptions of graphic violence. They urged the people to repent, but lawlessness and idolatry prevailed. Now, Habakkuk begins with an objection, a very common objection. The King James Version calls it Habakkuk's burden. It says the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. We all enter Habakkuk's world when we fail to grasp the purposes of God. In Habakkuk's time, superpowers collided with massive collateral damage. The prophet had witnessed his land being ruined and he lived with the frustration of it. Esau, a blind nation, tottering towards the, the edge of a cliff his world began to come apart. He hates the oppression and the deception that comes with it. He seems angry with God that he has to see these kinds of days. He says, why do you force me to look at evil, to stare trouble in the face day by day? Chapter 1, verse 3. See, his frustration compelled him to cry out to God. And in the days you and I live, we're being driven, in a sense, back to faith. 
Many people seek a deeper reality as lives are lost. And just a short time ago, we were part of the grief of victims of a mass senseless murder. One of the most difficult lessons for us to learn in this COVID-19 world and this world that is filled with violence and strife is how to wait upon the Lord. Habakkuk voices his complaint. He didn't let his anger seethe within him. He knew well that God could see into his heart. So the prophet felt what felt his, his emotions deeply, but didn't leave them inside and cried out to God. He put it into words. He felt the impatience that maybe we all feel at times. God, when is something going to change? How long have I got to wait? The Moravian community in Hirnhut in Saxony in 1727 commenced a round-the-clock prayer watch that continued non-stop for a hundred years. By 1791, 65 years after the commencement of that prayer vigil, the small Moravian community had sent 300 missionaries to the ends of the earth, 300 Moravians, some of whom wound up in Labrador. See, Habakkuk's prophecy is really a dialogue. The prophet lamented and mourned. He complained and he pointed his finger. And finally, God spoke to him in verse 5 and told him, I will work a work in your days, which you shall not believe, though it be told you. We often complain, but be convinced today, folks, by God's own words, that God is not inactive. The people of Jesus' day complained of their bondage, but they missed the birth of the Savior to free them. Jesus healed their sick and raised their dead, and so they found fault with his lifestyle and complained he broke their laws. When he hung on the cross for their sins, they neglected the promises of their prophets and complained that he was another false messiah. Even the disciples saw the cross as an end of their hopes rather than the beginning. They complained of being let down, and even an empty tomb failed to convince most of them. See, if we fail to wait on God, we miss the opportunity of dialogue. We speak, but fail to give God opportunity to answer. When we fail to wait on Him, we run the risk of missing the obvious. The world expected in Jesus' day a warrior on a white charger, but a babe in a manger? or a lamb upon a cross, their circumstances deadened their faith, and perhaps we live no differently now. We can all identify the problems among us. We've got hunger, war, crime, a pandemic most recently, greed, anger, malice, deceit, floods, fires. What do we do? Is it just our role to complain about these things? Scriptures tell us to wait upon God. God wasn't sleeping during the, all of this that Habakkuk was facing. He had a plan. And Habakkuk 3, verses 3 to 6, records the march of God. And what an awesome sight the prophet was confronted with when he finally saw him. Let me read a portion of it. His glory covered the heavens and his praise covered filled the earth 
His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood, meaning God, and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. When Habakkuk saw the glory of the Lord, his complaint stopped. Look at his response early in the third chapter. And read it from a different version, a paraphrased version. He says, when I heard it, my stomach did flips. I stammered and stuttered. One of the liabilities of being human is that we are bound to the things that we, only things that we can see. The problem is that we want to see God like we see physical things. We want to quantify Him. We want our requests to be answered in immediate and concrete terms. But God often says, know my word and trust me. We have to learn to believe when we can't see tomorrow. And that, in some ways, defines our faith. We have to trust when the road is not clear. See, our normal has been a church that's filled uh, each Sunday. The pews are filled with worshipers. Ministry programs go out to a congregation of people and how life has changed. Faith is not faith until we take a step forward into something new, a step of confidence in the power and the purpose of our Father. I'm now excited by how broad and diverse our new congregation has begun. In all that we face, God will vindicate his righteous character. Habakkuk said, Meanwhile, the earth fills up with the awareness of God's glory as the waters cover the sea. When the Lord declared himself, Habakkuk showed his poetic flair. Let me give you his words again with King James Version somberness. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Really, he's saying, let all things in this world fall apart. Let there be no crops. Let there be no sheep. Let all the herds be gone. Have you considered what Habakkuk was talking about? In our terms, he's speaking about total bankruptcy in an agrarian culture. For us, it's like everything gone. A scary world where our RSPs are worthless, our resume is useless, perhaps our house has burned down, our job is gone, we have no phone, no money, no credit. Well, maybe that sounds like heaven to some of you. Let me read it again. Here's his response. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my sal salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. One fact never changes for the prophet, and it shouldn't change for us. God is God. When all of the bad days have done their worst, God is God. When the price of oil plummets, and things go into deficit, when armed forces have to be called upon to work in hospitals, when politics has no answers, we just spend, spend, spend. God is still God. 
God proves himself when the sufferer is in the cross and when the body is in the tomb. There's hope when the barrel of bricks have nearly crushed out our lives. Quite a number of years ago, an African mine produced a most magnificent diamond in the world's history to that point. It was presented to the King of England to blaze in his crown or scepter. The King sent it to Amsterdam, the centers of diamond cutting, to be cut. It was put into the hands of an expert lapidary. What do you suppose he did with it? He took this gem of priceless value and he cut a notch in it. Then he struck a hard blow with an instrument and the superb jewel lay in his hand cut in two pieces. Was it done out of recklessness, wastefulness? Was it criminal carelessness? Absolutely not. For days and weeks, that blow had been studied and sketched with minute care. The man to whom it was committed was one of the most skilled lapidaries in the world. And was that blow a mistake? Rather, it was the climax of the lapidary's skill. When he struck that blow, he did the one thing that would bring that gem to its most perfect shape shapeliness, its radiance, and its jeweled splendor. That blow, which seemed to ruin to the normal eye that superb precious stone, was in fact its perfect redemption. From those two halves were wrought two magnificent gems, which the skilled eye of the lapidary saw hidden in the rough uncut stone as it came from the mine. This is tough. Sometimes God lets a stinging blow fall upon our lives. And perhaps the most striking example of that is the vision of Christ hanging on the cross. Perhaps many of us can identify. Identify an experience that still makes us tremble. What happened to us, uh, happened to us in those moments seems like an appalling mistake. But it's not. For we are the most priceless jewel in the world to God. And he's the most skilled lapidary in the universe. There are times when our faith demands that we trust the methods of Almighty God. We rest in his hands and believe that he knows best how to deal with us. Some of us are familiar with the words, the just shall live by faith. So often they're credited to Martin Luther in the early days of the Reformation. Others traced him back to the Apostle Paul. But both of these great Christians borrowed the greatest discovery of a complaining prophet named Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 4. So what is to be our posture today? As we see a world that is marked with so much suffering so much death, just like Habakkuk's world, so much crime, so many things wrong. I'd say to you today, based on this prophet's experience, it is time for us to wait upon God, to place our confidence in him, and tell him, Father, I will love and trust you no matter what.
May God bless you. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we are often led to question the things that happen to us in life. We look at our world, and in recent days especially, and see the, the death of thousands. We number infections in on paralleled numbers, at least in modern times. And we're apt to throw up our hands in despair and say, what next? There are people who feel the feel the crushing blows of life, hammer them down. And to it all, Lord, I pray that you will send your mercy and your grace, that we not only will see what's wrong with this world and what's wrong inside of our own lives, but may we also catch a glimpse of the God who was there, the God who was mighty in majesty, mighty in grace, and able to save. And I pray for someone today. There will be an open heart and they will embrace that God who loves them and who wants to bring something bright and new out of a life today that may be depressed and broken. And so I pray that they will turn themselves to you, accept the gift of grace, and find you as their Savior. We bless you, and we pray that we will grow during this time of COVID-19 awareness and the brokenness it's brought into our world. We bless you. Pray that we will be mightily used of you in these days. In Christ's name and for Christ's sake, we pray. Amen.